Hey, good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Happy Palm Sunday. Let's stand up and worship the Lord together.
around and say hello to someone. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hi. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. This is a bustling morning. Did you guys have the donuts before you got here? Like a sugar, sugar rush? Shaking. Well, good morning. My name is Ian O'Mara. I'm the director of Community Life. My name is Dominic Nuncio. I'm the executive pastor of Ministries. Welcome. If this is your first time or if you've been with us for a long time, we're so glad you're here. For those who have been here, did you like that you have to, didn't have to go through the mud this morning? Yeah. Isn't that great? So glad construction's been done, so welcome, we're glad you're here. Yeah, and yesterday we had an amazing event, and I have to do this as part of the prop. He did not know that was going to happen, but uh, we gave out these eggs at a great Easter egg hunt for our block party. There you go. Ian was pushing kids around. He stole that from a little kid. He was crying. He's never I, I, I stole. I mean, I acquired this from the Easter egg hunt. Uh, don't tell the children's ministry, but the, the most exciting moment for me, not to, not to see all the people here, but this lady got her egg older lady, she opened it up, and then when she saw what was inside, her face melted. She almost started tearing up because she was like, wow, I don't think I had, yeah, it was probably this expression, I've never had somebody give me something like this on an Easter. Well, this is our Easter egg for our service today, and what's in ours is we had over 100 volunteers at our event yesterday. And this, this, this is the best part. Over 730 people from our community joined us yesterday. Some of the amazing, great photos. And that only happened because we as a community came together and we did this and we knocked it out of the park. It was amazing. Kids were running around, drooling, uh, eating candy. <laughs> Parents were shaking their fists at us because their kids were on sugar highs, but they were doing it in joy. That's right. So thank you, thank you, thank you for those who came. Some of you are still wiping the sleep out of your eyes. Maybe you iced your back last night. I don't know, but I certainly did. Uh, but it was wonderful to see the church come alive. And that's an incredible thing when the church is on mission to just see what we can do. And we pray that we can do more events like that. Amen. We want to see all those people just encounter Jesus in a real intangible way. And that's from the smiling faces of people welcoming them, making sure they're not killing each other on bounce houses. It was awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And... What happened to the construction? So, funny story. I've been here the whole time this church has been under construction. So I just thought that green fence was like part of the backdrop, and I thought porta potties were part of our church. But so glad that we uh, are done. If you've done construction in your house, raise your hand. If you've done a remodel, so w look at my hands really quickly. We are done. Okay. Amen. You understand? We're done. And uh, large part to this man right here. This is Drake, our director for. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm Drake Oswald, the facilities director here, and yeah, I'm excited. We are, we are just about done here. We passed our final inspection on Thursday, oh, so that's awesome. Um, the city says we can use the space. 
Uh, so uh, groups have started using the, the Welcome Center there for Bible studies and um, life groups, and the bathrooms have been open for a long time, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, I just want to say thank you to everyone who supported the project um, through through prayer, uh, that's a huge one, through um, design, you know, Betsy McClendon put a ton of hours into that, um, through uh, logistics, through budgeting meetings, um, the board put a ton of time, ton of discussion into, into how the project would go, what it would look like, um, and then donations too. So um, thank you all for supporting it, and um, thank you for dealing with the mud and the dust over the last couple months, so thank you. And Drake, thank you so much for all you did. Thank you to your wife, too, who uh, hasn't seen you in probably quite a while. Yeah. So take a week off, and we'll start phase two. Good. Thanks. And with that, to celebrate the commencement of this uh, defining, uh, finishing of this great project, we have a coffee cart. We got donuts. Uh, we have biscottes, which I heard are really good. I haven't had any because they keep going so quick. So we want to encourage you after the service to run over there to the Welcome Center, check it out, and get around the corner and find that coffee cart. Yep, and give Drake a hug and maybe a pillow for a nap or something. A I don't pillow know. So for a nap. it's good. Well, here at La Jolla Community Church, we equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. And the way we start that is with our connection card. How many people have a bulletin? Oh, this is our this is our aerobic part of the service. Ah, in the back of that, we have our connection card. So if this is your first time or it's your 50th time, we want to hear with you. We want to connect with you. We want to know what's going on with you. And if you're a first-time visitor, come see me right after the service. Walk out those doors, and I'll be at the welcome table, and I have a gift for you. So come see me. And right on the back of that form, you'll see it says prayer requests or prayer form. And we take prayer very seriously here as a church. Uh, it's one of our values that we're rooted in prayer. And so if you or someone you know has a prayer request, please write that down pass it into the offering basket when they come by later on the service. Uh, as a staff, we take every Tuesday morning to just dedicate time to pray for each of those needs. And there's also a prayer team that will pray continuously, and they'll even follow up with you or the person that you want us to follow up if you wish. So please do that. We'd love to connect with you in that way. And also in our bulletin. We also have a form that we want to direct your attention to for the Board of Trustees nomination. Board of Trustees are just servant leaders in our church that help us make sure as a staff we're staying on target with our mission and vision. And so it's a, it's a wonderful group that have just given hours of their time to just pray and think about what God can do here. And if you or someone you know meets the requirements of that, uh, uh, those requirements on the form, I encourage you to fill it out, put that name in there, and also put that in the offering. Uh, we'll be doing one more week of nominations, and then we'll be praying and following up with people to figure out who our new board members will be. Yeah, so the, please do that. The prayer request, the connection card, the board nomination, that'll all be collected at the end of the service. If you forget, just find one of us, and you can pass it to us. Well, this brings us to our first announcement. This week, we're kicking off Holy Week, and we're going to have Monday, Thursday, they're going to be at home. We have a little packet in our Welcome Center, and I encourage you to go in there and look at it. And it's about getting together with your life group, getting together with your neighbors, getting together with those you work with, and celebrating the beginning of what Jesus was talking about. He got together with the disciples. They broke bread. He foreshadowed what was going to happen. And it's really a good time to connect and ha have people ask those questions about Christ that they may never have answered. And if you don't think you can do that yourself, we've, we give you step one through seven of how to do this dinner at your house for yourself. Yeah, so please take part of that. It's going to be a really special time. Good Friday, March 30th, this coming Friday from 6.30 to 7.30, we'll be celebrating uh, and reflecting on the death of Christ, and it's a, a family service. We encourage you all to come. Uh, children are welcome. It'll be an age-appropriate service, but we want to go through the last seven words of Jesus and pray through and contemplate what that means for our lives today. 
should be a great time to get us in preparation for Easter, so please come. And for Easter, our service times, as a reminder, are going to be 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. If you also call LJCC your home and you're a regular attender, we encourage you to come to the 8 a.m. service. And if you've been praying for people, that your, your co-workers or those that you know that don't know Jesus, this is the perfect time to invite them to a service. We're going to have a great time here. There's going to be a lot going on. You're going to hear a great message. So with that, we're going to bring up our senior pastor, Steve Murray, to finish our Second Timothy series. So would you welcome up our senior pastor this morning? Well, this is a very exciting time. I tell you why. Because we've been working at this for a long time. Uh, this remodel, as small as it is, is significant. We, uh, a year ago, thought we'd be selling our property. And we were so close to selling our property so that we could get money out of the ground and put it into mission. And then at the last minute, uh, at the end of summer, uh, a local landowner threatened to sue our developer and tie up the project indefinitely. And so we made a, the decision to say, okay, we can't sell the property um, uh, while this person is still alive. <laughs> <coughs> Well, I have one more prayer request this morning. <laughs> uh, so that was a head fake for us. But you know what's great about this congregation? We believe in our mission. And our mission is clear. We want to help people come to know the Lord, grow strong in their faith, figure out what he's put in their hands to serve him. Uh, everyday people walking with Jesus every day. And so really, that's what we're all about. Uh, and and uh, so at that point, we... The, collective will of the people was to say, let's just recognize it as God's voice. God's saying, now's not the time to do that. Okay, it doesn't change our mission. It just means that we have to make some adjustments to advance our mission. So that's why we've done this wonderful project, uh, probably the first of many iterations of this to make this place functional so that we can support the mission. As you know, Christmas Eve, we were at the Hyatt Aventine. Uh, we could have a thousand people there. We could do that every Sunday if we had the room. We just don't have the room and so, who knows, down the road we might be able to develop this property the way it should be, or it might be another time that we could sell it and redevelop it uh, like we were going to do. So, all that by way of saying, <clears throat> what drives us is to be prepared to do what God has called us to do. Though you can't ever plan successfully, we found that out when we went to sell the property, a year of intensely hard work, good work, preparing, and then your plans can be foiled. But you know what? It's more important to be prepared than it is to plan. Because plans change. But if you're prepared, you can adapt. You can pivot. You can say, all right, I, I know my life mission. I know our mission as a church. Let's just pivot because we're prepared to fulfill our mission. So that's the thing. If you don't get anything else out of what we do here, if you understand that, everything we do will make sense even when it doesn't seem to make sense. If you see something around here that we're doing that does not make sense to you, chalk it up to uh, this is one more way to align ourselves around our mission. And we invite all questions, raise any issues you ever want to raise uh, to ask about, well, what, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? It's all about our mission. And so that's what we come to here at the end of this series, looking at Paul's first and second letter to Timothy. Timothy, a young pastor in Ephesus, the protege of Paul's. Paul, the former rabbi who uh, came to know Jesus in the, in the process of trying to stamp out this movement around Jesus, and uh, Paul, an international citizen of the world, a Roman citizen, a full blue, true blue Jew, 
uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, highly educated uh, rabbinic uh, leader, and now he is mentoring Timothy to reach people beyond uh, uh, Jewish people, and now all around the Mediterranean, uh, they're reaching people, Jew and Gentile. So it's been tumultuous. Why? Because Paul's been imprisoned a couple times. At the, at the outset of this letter, uh, he's now in prison for the last time, and he will probably die. He ultimately died around 67 AD uh, under the reign of Nero. So sometime before that, this letter gets its way to Timothy. Paul knows it's his last letter. Here we are at the last chapter of the last letter. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, I want to tell you this. A young pastor was procrastinating all week about putting his sermon together. Uh, and it's not unusual for me to get calls from people during the week saying, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm going to do on Sunday. And, uh, and talking them through that. But this pastor every day would say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Every day throughout the week, Lord, speak to me. And finally, this goes on all week, and he gets to Sunday. He's about to stand up to speak, and he says, you know, uh, Lord, speak to me. And the Lord said, fine. You're not prepared. You're not prepared. You are not prepared. Uh, so procrastination is not a spiritual gift. Uh, uh, preparation is a spiritual gift. Uh, and like I said a moment ago, uh, planning is super important. I, I, pl- I like to plan far in advance. I like to p- make plans and work plans. I love that. Uh, but more importantly, I want to be prepared. And so this, was, this, is, this is a really uh, great way to jump into this, this letter because what we see today is that this is Palm Sunday. And so the mashup, the convergence of this last chapter in Timothy with Palm Sunday uh, I think it's God-ordained. I mean, I, I plan the sermons out a year in advance, right, our themes. We adjust them as we go through the year. Uh, but but it, it dawned on me as we got closer to this time that I thought, gosh, isn't it interesting? Palm Sunday, the last chapter um, in this second letter to Timothy. So in Luke and in Matthew, we, we get some descriptions of what Jesus was thinking and doing when he came into Jerusalem for that uh, big event. Uh, the celebration of Passover. If you can imagine, this is probably about 29 AD. This letter is about 38 years later. Uh, the letter is from Paul to Timothy. So 29 AD, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem always fills up during Passover. It's this big, exciting time of year. Uh, and then the, the temple was still in place. Now there's not a temple. There's a big mosque uh, where the temple was. But everybody came into Jerusalem from, from Egypt, from Syria, from Lebanon, from east, you know, eastern parts of the empire, the Roman Empire, which is now modern-day Turkey. All these people streaming in, so hundreds of thousands of people crowding in. If that wasn't enough, it was also super intense because within Israel, there was all kinds of currents and conflicts about who was going to run the show. Uh, there were people called Pharisees and Sadducees and people called Zealots, and all these people had a stake in wanting to control the city. Meanwhile, the Romans actually did control the city militarily. And because of Jesus' reputation and because of what Jesus had been doing for three years, there was a heightened sense of anticipation and excitement. What's going to happen with Jesus coming? And so here it is, uh, this very uh, electric, tinderbox-like moment And it was at these moments, typically, that the Romans were most touchy about what was going on because this would be the perfect time for somebody to do something crazy. And so there was a fortress, the Fortress Antonia, a gigantic fortress right next to the temple 
just high enough that they could look down on the temple and see what was going on. And so it is a very dicey kind of a time. And so here Jesus comes up uh, to this hill. If you come out of the east from the desert, from the Dead Sea up to Jerusalem, you come up over this hill, and there it is, the beautiful city of, of, of Jerusalem. Amazing. Jerusalem, right? The city of peace, Salem, right? And it's stunning. And I've been with a few people many, many times in different situations coming into Jerusalem, and people will just naturally weep when they see it. Or they'll cheer when they'll see it. Or they'll start singing when they see it. And meanwhile, there are all these pilgrims coming from all over the place who are Jewish, speaking many different languages perhaps, all coming up singing these special psalms. You see it in your Bible, the Psalms of Ascent. From about 118 to 134, there's all these psalms that they would sing and chant. So the people coming in, it's like the biggest sporting event you ever imagined. You know, and you have people singing their team songs and all that kind of thing. So it was a big, big moment. So it says, when Jesus drew near... This is Luke 19. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. You'd think maybe he'd be coming up saying, finally, it's all coming together. And that was true. But the moment of it, finally, it's all coming together, evokes from him these profoundly deep emotions. Why? Because he knew what it meant. He knew what it meant for him. He knew what it meant for them. He knew it was a culmination of a couple thousand years of God's promises to Israel, starting with Abraham. He knew it would be uh, the beginning of God fulfilling his promises for future generations. He knew this was the climactic flexion point for all of God, uh, what God was going to do to redeem the world. And so he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, you're a city of peace that's in your name. You have no idea how to get it. But now they are hidden from your eyes. You're not seeing things clearly. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. Uh, of course, this is, like I said, about uh, 29 A.D., by 70 AD, this is in fact what happened. The temple was destroyed. The city was sacked and burned. People driven out. It happened again in 135 AD. This time, every stone was dismantled. And people were driven out. And so there's this space of several hundred years until the third century when people just didn't inhabit it. Or if they did, they were like scavengers living in, you know... Uh, a post-apocalyptic kind of scenario. So Jesus is anticipating what's going to happen. So this is a predictive moment, and it moves him deeply to tears. They will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then Matthew gives us some more of what Jesus said. Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. This is a supreme paradox and irony, wouldn't you say? If, if, if this is God's city, uh, there's a part of Jerusalem called Mount Zion. There's a part of Jerusalem called the city of David. So all these incredibly important things uh, happened there. Uh, and, and so the history of Israel is absolutely intertwined with this. And they all want shalom. What's the thing to this day that you say to people in Israel when you see them? Shalom. Or if it's to a man, you say, shalom ha, to a woman, shalom eich. 
or hey, hello, good, uh, shalom, uh, you know, you know, uh, shalom tov. You give me anything, but it's always about peace. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so what a week it was. Uh, we'll celebrate uh, and remember some of this on uh, Good Friday. Some of this we'll, we'll recount on Thursday night. I hope you heard these guys loud and clear. I hope if, if you have any desire to get the most out of this holy week, you would invite some people together for your house for a dinner. I mean, make it a potluck thing. Get a pizza. Make it as simple as you can make it. But take that guide that we've created and simply have a dinner like the dinner Jesus had with his disciples, and just we'll give you a whole plan just to read through. And it'll be a very profound experience setting you up for Good Friday, which will set you up for Easter Sunday. So here's Jesus coming in, uh, and, and all the events that follow uh, are, are uh, intense. And it's all of a sudden like time is being compressed because all these things that have been promised, all these things that have been, have been prophesied, all these things that have been anticipated are all coming together. Is so fast. And of course, we get to see the benefit of that on our side of things. Basically, Jesus comes to Jerusalem saying, you're not prepared. And they weren't. Could somebody say to you, if Jesus showed up to you to your, in your room tonight and, and revealed himself to you as the risen Lord, what would he say to you? Could you imagine him saying to you, oh, man, you know how much I love you. You know how much I've given for you. You know how much I want for you to experience all that I've made available to you. But you know what? You're not prepared. You're not prepared. Prepared. How prepared do you have to be? Simple. You say yes. I don't have anything to feed you. I don't have. Just say yes. So if you heard me tell the story before, one time some friends were in Newport Beach said, hey, we want to get together and bring a friend down and, and have lunch with you. Great, okay, fantastic. A few months earlier, then the, the day of, it's raining, you know, and, and uh, they called, they said, hey, we're still coming down, you guys still up for lunch? Yeah, sure, you know, but we don't have to go out to lunch, you have lunch at our house. No, 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 we want to take you and our, our, with our friends out to lunch, but we'd like to come back to your house and have a cup of tea afterwards. Sure, great, you know. And so as I'm about to hang up, uh, my, our, my friend says, hey, by the way, did Janet tell you who's coming? I said, no, I don't think she knows. We just thought it'd be fun to see you guys, and whoever you bring is fine. And she said, well, I'm bringing Lord and Lady Craythorn. That's a funky name in California. <laughs> I said, Lord and Lady Craythorn? I said, like as in an English lord? Yes, he's a member of the House of Lords. Okay, then. Um, and he's coming to tea at our house. <laughs> and he probably lives in some manor house. And he, yeah, oh yeah, he lives in an estate uh, named after him. Of course it would be. Well, I've named, this is Steve's house, so, you know, this is Janet's house, you know. 
And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, now I'm in the middle of you know, going 50 ways during the day, and, and I don't have a chance to talk to Janet. So finally, I call her in a break between meetings. I said, hey, do, do, <laughs> are you sitting down? Uh, did you talk to Sandra? No, no, but they were going to, I know, I know, I know they're going to meet us, but do you know what's happening after lunch? Yeah, we're going to have tea with Don and Sandra and Lord and Lady Craythorn. And, and we're very casual at our house. It's just very silent on the line. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh my gosh, we are not prepared for this. I said, what do you do? You have no time to get prepared because she had stuff. And so they showed up. And what broke the ice was having lunch at La Valencia Hotel when the, the poor waiter comes over and goes, uh, yeah, what would you like? And Lord Craythorn says, I, I shall have the fish tacos. <laughs> like, yes, yes. These are my kind of people. And, and the guy, the, ki- the kid, or, you know, was kind of confused. And I said, uh, they're tacos. He goes, oh, quite, yes, uh, the tacos, all the fish, tacos. And so he's laughing, and we're laughing, so I think, oh, this is going to be really good. Turns out his roommate at Cambridge had been John Cleese. He's a very fun person, very serious guy, but he's had a fun roommate. So by the time we get to our little hovel of a house for having tea, I'm thinking, this is, Janet was just mortified, because it's not good, you know. They were the most delightful people. Because what is it? It's a cup of tea. You heat water... <laughs> You put the tea in the pot, you pour the water on the tea, you wait a few minutes, you pour it, and everybody's stoked because it's a rainy day and you're drinking a cup of tea. And so to be prepared, to be prepared is simply to say, I'm ready for you, Lord. I'm expecting you. Can't wait to see you. Nobody wants a big production. That's called entertainment, and that's all about how can I impress you? Hospitality is all about how can I simply be present and welcome you and bless you. And and whatever I have, I share with you. As funky as it is, uh, we open our heart and our home to you. So Jesus says to Jerusalem, you're not prepared. Very impressive, you're not prepared. 38 years later, Paul says to Timothy, be prepared. So here we are now in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 to 5, uh, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy. So here's Paul, knowing his life is soon to be over, not at his choosing, but Nero's. But he, at the same time, he thinks, hey, I belong to God, so Nero can do what he can do, but I belong to God. But I know it is the end of my life. This is my last shot. So he says, in the presence of God, in whom I live, and of Christ Jesus, whom I serve, and whose death and resurrection have given me salvation. Jesus, Son of God, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this triune God. Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and who will return again. In view of his appearing, that word is epiphany. You know, we talk about Epiphany Sunday. It's when we say, oh, the Magi came and presented a gift to Jesus. But, but there's going to be another epiphany. Uh, it's when Jesus returns to create a new heaven and a new earth. We had that epiphany of Lord and Lady Craythorn, an arrival. You know, thankfully, it was just a cup of tea, not some fancy dinner. So here's Paul saying to Timothy, hey, you live in the presence of God. No matter how much uh, brain damage you're experiencing there in Ephesus, no, mo- no matter how much I'm experiencing here in a prison in Rome, 
We live in the presence of God. And we know he's returning again to make everything right that he has promised. So I give you this charge. And it's neat because he's giving Timothy the charge that Paul himself is doing. He's not asking him to do anything that he's not already committed to doing. Preach the word, he says in verse 2. Proclaim the word. Open the word. Give people access to the word of God. As I said last week, this word is what we call the Old Testament. Comprised of the law, the Torah, the writings of the prophets. uh, It's called the Nevi'im. And then these writings like Proverbs and Psalms, the Ketuvim. So the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim. The consonants, T-N-K, Tanakh. So the Bible that Jesus read was called the Tanakh. The Bible that Paul read was called the Tanakh. The word that he's saying preach is the Tanakh. Following Jesus' resurrection, 38 years before this letter that Paul's writing, people are freaking out. What happened to Jesus? He was crucified, we're crushed. Now he's disappeared. Where did he go? Body stolen, the authorities hiding, and what's happening? A couple who have been in Jerusalem, and now they're leaving Jerusalem, going back home to Emmaus. It's like a six-mile round trip from Jerusalem, they're walking, they're dispirited, despondent, totally bummed out. And, and a stranger walks up alongside them and says, why are you guys so bummed out? Why are you so sad? Where have you been? Don't you know what's happened? No, tell me. Well, Jesus, whom we thought was going to be the Messiah, whose word and deed did, confirmed in so many ways that he was what we were hoping for, all of a sudden he's crucified and now he's gone missing. And, of course, it's Jesus traveling next to them, walking with them, says, well, don't you know? No, know what? And and it says he explained it to them through the word. He explained, starting in the scriptures, all that had to happen to fulfill what Jesus had actually fulfilled. That was all in the Tanakh. Now, Paul writing this probably has a sense that, wow, I'm writing things that seem to be inspired by God. Of course, out of this comes the New Testament. But at this point, that's that's the book. So he says, be prepared in season and out of season. When it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. Don't wait for the right day. The right day will usually never come. You'll re- you recognize the right day the day after. Oh, yesterday was the perfect day. I should have done that. You know? As a, as a famous rabbi once said, hey, when, somebody came up to him and said, hey, when should I repent? The rabbi said, repent the day before you die. And the person said, well, I don't know the day I'm going to die. Ah, then repent today. (laughs) So he says, take the word and and use it to correct and rebuke and encourage. When you read the Bible, you'll see things that change your thinking, that corrects your thinking about who God is and what it means to be a human being. You'll see things that rebuke you. Hey, don't do that. Do this. You'll see things that encourage you. Go for it. I'm with you. Uh, Where are you right now in your life? Do you need a a word of correction? Are you wrestling with a theological question, some faith question that you need some correct content to clarify for you? Are you wrestling with some behaviors that people are saying, hey, I'm concerned about you, that what you're doing is not good for you, it's not consistent with God's word, it's going to destroy you? Or right now, are you in need of a, of a word of encouragement? A, a friend uh, in the last couple weeks has gone through a horrible time of personal and public humiliation he, he did something that he regrets, and it's not the end of the world, but it was enough to, for him as a highly integ- uh, you know, uh, noble person of high integrity to say, I need to step down from what I do. 
He had to tell his family, he had to tell his company. It was in all the major newspapers around the world this week. Uh, what do you think that guy needs? A word of correction or rebuke? What do you think he needs? Encouragement. He knows what he did. He's mortified that he did it. It's not like him to do what he did. He's going to go through the rest of his life thinking, why did I do that? He needs encouragement. Encouragement doesn't say you didn't do it. Encouragement says, we know who you are. You've repented. You've confessed. You've received God's forgiveness. It's going to take a while for your soul to catch up with that. Because right now you're going to beat yourself up as you go through every day. Right now, let me encourage you and tell you that God is with you. God is for you. In fact, God will use this in your life and actually bless other people. Looking back, it won't help. Looking forward will prepare you for this next stage of your life. So this is the power of God's word. So Timothy, he says in verse 3, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. While you have the opportunity to teach and preach and proclaim and demonstrate the word of God, do it. People will not put up with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Right now you're sitting in a chair and it's, it's holding you up. That's sound doctrine. Somebody designed a chair that could actually hold you. Uh, how many of you flew in a plane in the last month? How many of you are going to fly in a plane in the next few months? Don't you hope that there was some sound doctrine applied to your plane? <laughs> right? That engineers have, have worked assiduously to figure out all the dynamics, the stresses, the strains, to make that plane sound so you can fly in it? Don't you want the pilot to have sound doctrine to know that, hey, if something goes wrong, I know what to do? Sound doctrine, we see it in every aspect of our life. We want to get the truth and apply it appropriately so that anybody looking at it would say, yeah, that's the absolute right way to apply that truth. It's transparent. It's subject to review. It's open to critique. That's what sound doctrine is. And Paul's saying, there will come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. He says, instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers, so-called teachers, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Why would people do that? Why would people do that? It's the same reason that Adam and Eve said, I think we can do better. I know what God said, but I think we can do better. He might be holding out on us. <laughs> and if you're not, not going to believe a serpent, who are you going to believe? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's crazy. It's craziness. The craziness of our humanity is that we say, my will be done. We're smooth how we say it. Honey, have you ever thought that, I wonder if we could possibly, but generally there's a sense of, which, hey, my will be done. And Paul's saying, people, as we go through time, don't get better. It's getting more intense, and, and, and so we're not improving every day in every way, getting better and better. Uh, there will never be uh, a lack of need for psychologists, psychiatrists, pastors, counselors of any stripe. There will, we'll never run out of needs for physicians, for attorneys, for mediators, negotiators. Uh, sadly, there'll never be a time when we don't need armies and, and, and defenses. We're not getting better and better. 
And so Paul's saying, hey, as, as we go through time, it's getting worse and worse. And people at some point will say, I don't need to hear that because I am enough. And so he says in verse 5, but you, Timothy, keep your head. Keep clear-headed in all situations. Endure hardship. Be willing to suffer and sacrifice because this is so worthy of your suffering and sacrifice. Now, don't suffer and sacrifice unnecessarily. The poor guy that procrastinated about his sermon was suffering unnecessarily. He could have just said, I'm going to, or she could have just said, I'm going to put my face in front of the book and study and ask God to guide me and lead me and God to speak to me. And in the process of studying and saying, I have no idea. And I guarantee I I sit like this most weeks. I have no idea what I'm going to say one more time about Palm Sunday. (laughs) Hey, get over it. It's a Palm. It was Sunday. Can we move on and just talk about something else? You know, what are you going to say about Easter? Jesus rose from the dead. Oh my gosh, I got more time. You know, (laughs) you know what? But by, by sitting in front of the word, the Lord does speak to you. Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And all of a sudden, there's this incredible sense that I'm in a conversation with God. It's not audible, but it's discernible. So keep your head, Timothy, in all situations. Endure hardship. It isn't easy, but it's worth it. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, this could be speaking to Timothy specifically. Hey, he had a gift for evangelism. But really, he's saying, in this general sense, be a person who welcomes people into a relationship with Jesus. He's willing to say, yeah, of course, come over and have a cup of tea. What I have, I give you. And you don't know what the relationship will look like. A friend of mine, uh, we, were, we, were, we were talking this week, and he said, uh, he's been having just a great time riding motorcycles with all these different guys. And he goes, I, you know, I, I know so many Christians. I have to work at not knowing Christians, uh, knowing non-Christians. So he said he's got to know this guy. They're riding motorcycles together. Had a great time. So they decided to do a multi-day trip down to Mexico. My friend is phenomenal putting events together. So they're doing this really great trip. And every day they'd stop. And over a beer, they'd talk about faith. And he knew this guy was not a believer and was not into Christianity at all. But he really liked my friend. And so my friend would say, look, let's go and, and we'll just talk about what's important in life. What's important to me is, is God. And I know you don't believe, so if you want to talk about that, I'm open to talk about that. So every day they had these long conversations about God. Another thing I don't like about Christianity, another thing I don't think about Jesus. And at the end of the week, the guy said, this is the most fun motorcycle trip I've ever had. And my friend is really fun to be with, and he had a great time. But this guy's done zillions of motorcycle trips, right? What he loved was being in this place with a guy who was saying, oh, God's inviting you into a conversation. What do you bring into the conversation? See, discharge, Paul says, the duties of your ministry. What are the duties of your ministry? It's to be hospitable in the name of Jesus, to make space for people, not to mug them in Jesus' name, but to say, is there anything you ever wonder about when it comes to God, about Jesus, about the Bible? UCSD does a neat thing called the Veritas Forum. Started at Harvard about 15, almost 20 years ago. Some students posted on, at, on the Harvard bulletin board, hey, if there's any Christians out there, I'd like to meet both of you at Harvard, you know? And so um, it turned out about 80, 80 or 100 people showed up, graduate students, undergraduates, and they started getting together. They started inviting Harvard faculty who declared that they were followers of Jesus to come speak to them. It became so powerful that non-Christians started showing up going, wow, I'd like to hear what that professor has to say about faith. 
And then it spread to other Ivy League colleges, and it spread across the country. Now it's all over the place. So we, your church, our church, has helped fund Veritas Forums at UCSD. Now they don't even need the funding because the university said, okay, this looks like a pretty neat thing. We'll fund it. And so John Lennox from Cambridge, a world-famous mathematician, was speaking, I think, a year or so ago. And so they, they just create these opportunities for people to tell their story and to engage in conversation. That's what it means to discharge the duties of your ministry. Be you wherever you are. Most importantly, be who you are in Christ wherever you are. So I, let me wrap it up by saying this. Does this describe you? Does this just general thing that he's saying to Timothy describe you? If not, Jesus is weeping over you. Jesus is looking at you whom he loves deeply and saying, you're not prepared. I keep bringing people in your life and you're not prepared to engage with them. Not to talk them in or out of something, but just to engage with them in a deeper way. You're not prepared because you're not opening my word to read it, so you don't know anything. And when I talk to you, you don't know if, if it's me or, or the pizza you had last night. I've given you dreams. I've given you visions. I've given you coincidences. I brought people into your life, and you seem to just be indifferent to it. You're not, you're not prepared to receive me. You're not prepared to announce my presence to anybody else. You are at risk, but you're not willing to take a risk. Isn't that a crazy thing? To be at risk because we're, we're not properly prepared with what God wants us to be prepared for in life. And yet we're not willing to take the risk to get that. It's a crazy thing. If you're not prepared, what are you waiting for? Why, why do you believe then? And if you say you believe, what do you believe? Are your beliefs shaped by the Bible or biases? Ask others what they believe and why. Ask them what they know about the Bible and what they think Jesus came to do if you're not clear on it. I'd rather have a person say, you know what, I don't believe this versus I kind of believe this. Because kind of believe this is making you at risk. So here, let me throw this idea to you. The greatest threat to the mission of God in the world today is not atheists or agnostics or even persecution. The greatest threat to the work of God, the movement of God's spirit in this world today is this. Unmotivated, indifferent, unprepared, and disconnected believers People who have a Bible and don't know it, don't read it, don't understand it. People who say they have a faith but are so comfortable living superficially on it that their faith really has no meaningful impact on the way they actually live. So therefore, when the ventilation hits the defecation in their life, or the defecation hits the ventilation in their life, they freak out and say, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? What kind of God are you? had been paying attention to God, they would have been prepared to say, Lord, okay, I'm here in this really lousy situation. I'm so glad you're with me and I know what your word says. And I know what your word says to me and to other people. You see the power of that? Moving from being unmotivated to motivated? Hey, I want to know. Indifferent to engaged? I want to grow. Unprepared to prepared? I'm, I'm carving out time that I used to use for other things to really get serious about knowing what this is this word of God, and then disconnected to connected, I start looking at everybody as a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork. I start seeing people as people loved by God, and I start asking them myself, Lord, and, um, what do you want me to do 
to encourage these people, to correct these people, to rebuke them, to pray for them. And I'm ready to have a response from people. I don't push them around. I, I don't exploit them. I love them unconditionally. But I'm prepared for the moment they say, hey, you believe this stuff. Why? So be prepared for God to speak to you, first of all. And that won't happen unless you open his word. It won't go deep unless you get in a community of people who are talking about his word week in and week out. You won't know how to listen to him, and therefore you won't be motivated to obey him. And the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good people do nothing, right? You've heard that. He's given you what you need to be prepared. His word, his spirit, his power, and his people. Do this, whether convenient or inconvenient, do this in every season of your life. You're not too young. You're not too old. It's not too soon. It's not too late. What day should you repent? Today. Do this because you matter to God. Right? The holes in his hands says, you matter to me. If you don't get anything else out of this holy week, it's a big banner written across history saying, you matter to me. And it matters to people who need to hear it from you. Because you are uniquely placed to be the person who proclaims the good news of God's kingdom. So Lord Jesus, I pray that each one of us would take this to heart. That you would break our hearts for the condition of our world. For the lostness we see in ourselves and around us. And in breaking our hearts, Lord, may they become open to your healing presence through your love, your grace, your truth. May you open up our minds to see the magnificence of what you have done and what you are doing. Lord, may you be so irresistibly attractive to us that we can't help but introduce you to others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Steve. What a, what a sobering reality check to think about what are we doing with the gospel that we've been given? What are we doing with it? And what a great time to reflect upon it, but this week, the week leading up to Jesus going down the cross for our sin, showing us what it all had to be, and then rising from the dead, the proving to us that he is who he said he is. And as the ushers come forward to receive the tithes and offerings, I just want us to reflect on we're doing amazing things in this community. We're doing amazing things for the world. But sometimes we need that reality check. As the ushers come forward and they pass the basket, we just want to thank those that have given online. We just want to thank those who give once a year. And as the basket passes, it goes around, we just want to celebrate what he's doing in this community, how we are becoming salt and light in the community he has called us to. So let's continue our time in worship with giving.
Suffered and crucified 
Receive him today. Invite him into your life today. Make this coming Easter your first Easter to really celebrate him as Savior and Lord. Uh, if you've been far from him, if you feel like you've failed him, if you feel like he's failed you, uh, come back to him today. Uh, start fresh. Start new today. And say, Lord, I'm back. I, I, I want to be in relationship with you. Refresh me. Renew me. Fill me. Use me. If you're walking strong with him, keep your eyes on him. It might be a season of great success for you. It might be a great season of suffering. Not great in the sense of good for you, but God's goodness will be in and through you in the midst of that season. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or imagine give you everything you need to feel his love, to experience his love, to walk in his love, to express his love one day at a time, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
believe in the saints come 